great. Guys, if you want to keep uh, your Bibles open uh, at page 1044, this amazing part of Luke's Gospel that we just looked at, you might also have been given one of these little um, uh, outlines of where we're going, if that's helpful to scribble. Um, Why don't we pray uh, as we look at this uh, part of the Bible together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that it is life and light to us. And naturally, Father, we're darkened in our minds and our understandings. Our eyes are closed to the things of you. So please, by your spirit and in your mercy, you open our eyes, open our hearts, clear away distractions. We focus on you and receive your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... Our question today is, how does Jesus work in the world today? How does Jesus work in the world today? Now, if you're uh, kind of new to Christian things, you're just looking into into Christianity, you might be thinking, well, Mark, what do you mean, uh, how does Jesus work in the world today? He's no longer here. He might have worked when he was here 2,000 years ago, miracles and teaching and all that kind of thing, but he's no longer on earth. So what do you mean? Uh, how does Jesus work in the world today? Or if you're a Christian here today, you may answer that question with a sort of vague sense that Jesus is in heaven and he's kind of directing things in a very broad sense. But he feels far away. It feels remote. Um, And it doesn't feel like he's at work that much down here where we are. But what I want to show you from uh, the Bible this morning uh, and the Bible's answer to that question, how does Jesus work in the world today, might come as a bit of a surprise to us. Because the Bible's answer that we see today is that, wonderfully and shockingly, Jesus is very much at work today in the world. But it's through us. It's, if we're Christian believers, he works through his people. Now, the last two uh, sermons we had from Rich, cast your mind back for um, the, uh, it was Luke, it was Luke last year. That's unhelpful, isn't it? He was called Luke, and this book is called Luke. Before Luke, but in Luke, chapter 8. Do you remember that we had two uh, sermons on Luke 8, looking at, is, is your Jesus big enough? We were really uh, considering the, the immense power of Jesus. These, these are like the power chapters of Jesus. He, he, remember some of the miracles? Calming the storm, casting out the legion, you know, uh, curing the sick, even raising the dead. The power of Jesus. But now Luke's point as he comes to chapter 9 is, well, you know that great power that was at work in Jesus? That great power is at work in you, if you're a Christian. It's almost unbelievable to think, but I think that's what chapter 9 is doing here. That great power of Jesus is at work in you if you're one of his people. And I kind of want to just show you that from from the passage today. So um, that's our our heading today. It's kind of coming up on the screen. But Jesus is at work through his people. Firstly, as he sends us out to proclaim his kingdom. This is verses 1 to 6. Let's just pick a few. Um, verses 1 and 2. Just follow along as I read that. Uh, this is, He, Jesus, called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. We see the result of that in verse 6. Look down. And they departed, these are the apostles, and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. 
And then if you notice in verse 10, a bit further down, they return from that little missionary journey. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. The timing of this is, is, is quite unusual in Luke. It's quite early. Uh, this isn't the Great Commission type sending off at the end of, we find at the end of the Gospels, and kind of that's what the book of Acts is all about, isn't it? The sending of the, the apostles, the, the work of the church. This is kind of a, a mini mission, a, a short-term mission trip, if you like, as a sort of foretaste of what was to come later, after Jesus died on the cross of sin and rose again. Now, you might read this and be thinking, hang on a minute, preaching, healing, casting out demons, that sounds a lot like what Jesus was doing in his ministry. And that's kind of exactly the point. You see, Jesus was going to continue his work through the apostles. He's going to continue his work through the apostles. Twelve is very significant. The twelve apostles representing kind of like the 12 tribes of, of, of Israel in the past. Well, this, the 12 apostles are the, representing the, the new people of God that Jesus is calling and equipping and empowering and authorizing to preach his kingdom. And that's a point of connection for us today. You see, that is the same mission that we have as the church. There are points of difference, as we're going to see in a minute, but this point is still the same for us today. We, like them, are called by Jesus, empowered, authorized, and sent out to proclaim his kingdom. That's our mission as a church, to proclaim his kingdom with his authority. And that's an amazing privilege we get. But there are some differences as well, and you may have been slightly scratching your head as to some of the details here. Let's just highlight a couple. You may be asking yourself, well, what about the miracle working that they were... Uh, going to do authority over demons curing diseases should we be expected to do that too today well i would argue not i would argue that miracle working is not to be expected or necessary for kingdom proclamation today and i want to give you some reasons why firstly did you notice luke seems very eager to point out that this mission trip was specific to the twelve over and over again repetition of the twelve and not just wider the disciples this is specifically that narrow group, the 12. Verse 1, he called the 12. Verse 10, on their return, the apostles, the 12, told him all that they had done. And in verse 12 again, the 12 came and said. So there is something very unique and special, I think, about this mission trip that means we can't just take what they did and just apply it to us. Secondly, their miracle working was necessary to authenticate their message. Their miracles that they, they did proved that their message was genuinely from God. A message which is now actually recorded for us in the Bible, isn't it? And now, today, since their message, which has already been authenticated, is now recorded in the pages of Scripture, well, we don't need that authentication to happen again. Does that make sense? I was trying to think of an illustration. The best I came up with was, you know, on your phone, when you download an app, hopefully this is something you've done, <laughs> you know, it, it wants to authenticate you and send you an email. It says, we've sent you an email, click the link. And you dutifully click the link, 
and it authenticates you, and from then on, you don't need to do it again, do you? It doesn't keep sending you an email every time you open the app. No, you can just go straight in and use it. That's kind of like what's going on here. The, 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 the apostle's message, which we have recorded in the Bible, was authenticated then. It doesn't need to happen again. We can just go straight in, open the Bible, and there is the authenticated, spirit-breathed, empowered word of God for us to use today. Another detail that isn't easy to understand, um, I'm sort of drawn to this, but that's my personality, um, is a la- total lack of preparations. <laughs> I wonder why I'm drawn to that. But did you notice, verses 3 to 5, no staff, no, as in stick that you walk with, uh, no bag, no bread, no money, uh, n- no building. Uh, you just kind of stay in the house that you're welcome till you depart. It, it, to me, it doesn't sound like very good forward planning. I mean, imagine if we tried that at Holiday Club. I think it would very quickly unravel. But I think, again, this is part of the uniqueness of this mini-mission trip that the apostles were to do. And I think the principle underlying this is that the apostles were to be totally dependent on Jesus, day to day, for everything. You see, they weren't kind of um, sent out as lone rangers to set up alternative empires. No, they were to go day to day in total dependence on Jesus. They were to be ambassadors of the king, receiving from him daily all that they needed to do his work. And I think that's a principle we want to preserve for the, for the mission of the church today. Um, that sense of, it's all right to plan, it's good to plan, but we do want to preserve um, that humble dependence on God, which is expressed today in in prayer, isn't it? And it just made me think that, you know, the the central prayer meeting that we have on uh, Zoom every fortnight, well, it's tempting to think of that as a sort of nice add-on, additional thing on the side. Whereas, Whereas actually, someone I've heard explain to me is that actually the prayer meeting of the church is kind of the engine room. You know, you've got a car, you take the engine out, you're not going anywhere. When you take prayer out of the church, we're not going anywhere. So I want to encourage us uh, gently to come along and join if you can. So this is kind of the first point that we see. Jesus is at work today in his people, through his people, as he empowers us and sends us out to proclaim his kingdom. Just take a step back and ask yourself the question, does Jesus send out the apostles because he needed a hand? Did Jesus need the help? Well, no, because hang on. Chapter 8, power miracles. Jesus got these selfish, he's totally powerful. It's not because he needs the help that he sends out the 12. What he's doing is lovingly involving them in the work of God. It's an immense privilege to be part of God's kingdom-building work. And for us today, we don't go out and do Christmas and holiday clubs and whatever else because Jesus needs us. He doesn't need us. But he's lovingly and wonderfully involving us in his, in his project to build his kingdom. And that is an immense privilege. We don't do evangelism because we have to. We do it because we, we get to. I'm conscious that Christmas is coming up really fast, isn't it? We've just been talking about it a little bit already. 
You know, that is a wonderful opportunity. We get it every year to, to reach out, to invite others to hear the gospel, to be part of this kingdom building work. It is such a privilege. Let's grasp it this, this year with both hands. Not because we have to, but because we, we get to. Well, that all sounds pretty glorious so far, doesn't it? Being sent by the king, his power and authority. Um, should we expect an easy ride, therefore? Well, no, because the second point that we're going to see is that, yes, Jesus has worked for his people, but it's secondly, as we endure being rejected and misunderstood. You see, Jesus prepared his apostles, uh, yes, that some would receive them, and therefore the message that they were carrying. But he does also prepare them for rejection, doesn't he? Um, just look at verse 5. Uh, Jesus says to them, Wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And the rejection gets even more stark, doesn't it, in verses 7 to 9. Strange, this little story of Herod, um, kind of inserted by Luke. Did you notice that the story flows 1 to 6? And then you could just jump to verse, is it 10? And then carry on. The apostles come back. Why does Luke do this? Why does he break up the story intentionally, put a little story of Herod in, and then go back to the original story? Well, I think what, what he's doing is, in just these few verses, verses 7 to 9, um, Luke is picturing for us uh, the rejection of the message. Pictured in Herod. Some reactions here from Herod. Firstly, he was perplexed. Did you notice that? Because as far as he was concerned... Actually, the only gospel preacher he'd known about so far was John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist tried preaching the gospel to him, well, you know what he did? Herod beheaded John. That's a pretty violent rejection, isn't it, of the message. So he's perplexed. He violently rejected it. And now he's hearing this, this preacher that sounds very much like John the Baptist is back and his name's Jesus. And he's confused. He's saying, is he, uh, is he John, come back from the dead? Is he Elijah? Is he one of the prophets of old, like in the Old Testament? He's baffled. That's another reaction to the gospel, isn't it? Just total confusion. You know, Mark, what are you talking about? And that can be some of the... That's, the, that's actually quite hurtful, isn't it? When trying to share the message, you're just like, just, I just have no idea what you're going on about. But lastly, did you notice... Um, it seemed quite positive that Herod wanted to see him, uh, Jesus. Thinking, oh, maybe yeah. Until we realized, actually, uh, in sh- chapter 23, at the end of the gospel, where um, actually Herod does meet Jesus, we find it's not for a very good motive. We, we, we read there that uh, why he wanted to see Jesus, because he wanted Jesus to do a miracle. He wanted to see a trick for his amusement. And when Jesus refused, well, he just mocked Jesus. So it was for uh, amusement purposes. Again, that can be a a difficult response to to endure as a Christian, mocking amusement. And I guess if you've been trying to be a witness for Jesus any length of time, you will have experienced probably a different range of responses pictured here. And it is a painful thing. But I'm encouraged that actually it's it's nothing new. You know, uh, as it was then for the apostles, so it is today. Nothing's changed. Sharing the gospel will at the same time be this weird mix of point one, the greatest privilege we can do, have, 
but also the hardest thing in the world to do. That's a strange combination. You know, so often we feel that if we're met with rejection and misunderstanding, then we're probably doing something wrong. You know, we haven't got a sort of secret key to evangelism that other Christians have worked out and unlocked. But actually, when we read something like this, we realize that actually, if we're, as we're trying to hold out the word of life, we're experiencing rejection and misunderstanding. Actually, we're probably doing something right. If everybody loved us, we're probably doing something wrong. So be encouraged. This is what Jesus taught us to expect. He's still working for us to save his people, despite all that rejection. And hey, 2,000 years on, we're still here, aren't we? Christian church is great. So we've seen those first two points. But what if we just feel like... Do you know you just don't feel like you have the resources to do work for God? Maybe you, you are, you're on the train to work or, or whatever and you, at the school gates and you're kind of just aware occasionally of the countless thousands actually around us every day who've never, ever heard the gospel put in a way they can understand and have an opportunity to respond to it. There's a lot of people in that situation. And, and we just think, how, Lord, how are we going to reach these people? This might sometimes feel like a, a slightly impressive gathering, but when you compare the, the number of people in this room to the thousands just in the bar of Barnet, it makes us think, oh, how, Lord, how are we going to reach all these people with, with what little resources we have? Well, this is the third and last point. Jesus is at work through his people as he takes what little resources we have and multiplies it. I love this story. Um, what I really want us to see from this story, the feeding of the 5,000 is this. A very little can go a very long way in Jesus' hands. A very little can go a very long way in Jesus' hands. There are just so many amazing details here we just don't have the time to go into, including how after their mission trip, uh, mission trip they're kind of on a retreat to kind of get away from it all. The crowds follow. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he, verse 11, he welcomes them. He doesn't get sick of them. He welcomes them. And speaks to them of the kingdom of God and heals them. It's the compassion of Jesus. Not only that, but the little detail in verse 12. I was going to go into this a bit, but in no time. Uh, we're told that it was a desolate place. And hang on, we've got a desolate, deserty, desolate place. God feeding his people. Does it remind you of anything in the Old Testament? That time, isn't it? In the Old Testament, Exodus, when God fed his people in the desert. Bread from heaven. And Jesus is doing that. Another little detail. But the main thing that's going on is that, well, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and then it begins to get late. And you can just imagine it's dusk, and the apostles make quite a good suggestion, don't they? Verse 12, well, let's, let's, let's send the people away so they can go and buy themselves some food. Let's, let's, let's wrap things up here a bit, Jesus. And then Jesus comes out with a stunner of a, of a statement. Do you see verse 13? Just look down with me. He says to them, you give them something to eat. And they 
there you go. <laughs> we have no more than five loaves and two fish. And loaves in those days were not like the big kind of Aldi. Yeah. <laughs> What, what, what are we on? It's massive things. The, the, they're more like those little mini rolls you get. Five, five loaves, five mini rolls, and two fish. And then maybe a slight note of sarcasm, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. So the disciples are absolutely stunned. You feed them? Jesus, what? Impossible. Impossible. Just look at what we've got. Pitiful, pathetic, meager resources. How on earth is that going to meet the needs of such great crowds? Unless we go and buy food, and we don't have the funds for that. But then Jesus gets to organize the people in small groups of about 50. And then, verse 16, taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over, the, over them, the food. Then he broke the loaves, gave it to the disciples to set before the crowd, and everyone ate and was satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken people. People were stuffed. So much so, there was lots of leftovers. You see, this is illustrating a massive point, isn't it? Jesus is able to take what tiny resources they had and miraculously and wonderfully multiply it to meet the need. I was just thinking about this. Couldn't Jesus have just kind of clicked his fingers and made food appear in their, in their, they didn't have rucksacks in those days, whatever, satchels or whatever. He could have just clicked his fingers and boom, loads of food appear in their bags. But he doesn't. He goes through this process of taking what little they have, lifting it to heaven, blessing it, multiplying it, giving it to the disciples who then gave it to the people. Why go through all that? Why not just click fingers and feast everywhere? Well, I think it's to show us that, that, uh, an amazing principle. Jesus isn't in the business of bypassing his people. He's in the business of taking what pathetic resources they have multiplying it in their hands so that his, we, his people, can give it out. And that is a beautiful picture for us today, isn't it? He's able to do that with us. With what tiny resources we have, both personally and as a church, he's able to multiply. Uh, what was the phrase? Um, a very little can go a very long way in Jesus' hands. And why, why do we find in Jesus a source of never-ending blessing and provision to us? Well, it's because Jesus is also the one who went to the cross and died for sin. And from the cross flows to us a never-ending fountain of, of blessing and provision. It's because of his death that means we can be absolutely confident of him, him giving us all we need for the work. And you know, you may feel, like I do at times, like you have very little resources for effective witness. Personally, you're like, well, God, you may work through others, but me, I'm far too sinful. I'm far too, my knowledge of the Bible isn't very good. 
I'm hopeless at answering questions. I, I literally shake when I give a, a leaflet to somebody, invite them to a carol service. I don't feel very uh, resource-heavy. God. Well, you know what? Jesus is able to take the little resources you have and multiply it to meet the need. Not just personally, but as a church, we might feel we've only got five small loaves and two fishes. Conscious that our staff team is smaller now than it has been for many years. We're trying to buy a building uh, and competing with the big boys, property developers. Big budget. We've only got five small loaves and two small fish. What, what is that? Well, again, we can take heart, can't we? Because Jesus is in the business of taking what we have, multiply it to meet the need. We can trust him for that. You see, a very little can go a very long way in Jesus' hands. Well, let's wrap things up. The question we started uh, started with was, how does Jesus work in the world today? We've seen three amazing things from Luke's Gospel today, haven't we? Firstly, he sends us out to proclaim his kingdom to others. Secondly, he works through us as we endure rejection and misunderstanding. And then thirdly, and wonderfully, he takes what little we have, little resources we have, and multiplies it to meet the need for his work. Shall we pray together? Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your word today. We'll thank you that Jesus isn't in the business of bypassing us, but thank you that in his grace, he invites us and works through us so that we might be involved in the greatest thing that is happening in the universe today, the the saving of your people, the building of your kingdom, for our joy and for your glory. Thank you for the privilege it is to be part of this work. Not because we have to, because we get to. And Father, thank you that you equip us and give us all we need. Help us to endure rejection. Help us to believe that a very little can go a very long way in your hands. And though we feel so weak, with very little resources, thank you that you can take that and use it to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.